The Low Post is presented by Amazon Music. Did you know you could be listening to this episode of The Low Post ad-free on Amazon Music? And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where it's time, I forgot last time, not this time, to utter the three most anticipated words in niche, not niche, niche basketball podcasting. What up, Beck? <laughs> what up, Zach? I'm uh, I'm heartened. I'm uh, reassured. I feel much better about myself, about the world today. Uh, that you've uh, that you've gone back to the intro. It was actually two straight times because there was the one time that I was on solo with you, and you were so so excited about um, what had just happened. Something something. Oh, we were talking about like ballots and everything else. So you just had to dive right right in. You just you had no time for it. And then the next time it was uh, uh, me and Bobby Marks on together. And so it just didn't make sense in that context. So there was actually a two pod streak of not doing it. And I, I heard from a lot of people uh, on the Twitters uh, who were a little, you know, a little troubled, a little concerned. It, it, it kind of messed with their their whole understanding of the universe. So I'm, I'm glad. We're well, back. that that one was about the Bucks collapse. And I just I just oh, that's was, right. Yes, I just. I, it was I too just much. couldn't I couldn't contain myself. I it just was overwhelming. It was too, I'm still every once in a while while watching the Heat and the Knicks play for a spot in the NBA's Final Four, it does strike my brain that that happened and I watched it happen and they still have a timeout somewhere <laughs> in, in their luggage. And I just I'm like utterly shocked at it and we're going to live the implications of that in this offseason as we discussed then, but we will not discuss that now. Um, Howard Beck is currently writing for GQ during these playoffs, and you had a piece this week about this is the crazy NBA playoffs. This is the random NBA playoffs. We have a five and an eight in the East and a six and a seven in the West. And it struck me as I was watching the Knicks save their season last night and then the Warriors save their season a couple hours after that, that if there were a year where a 3-1 lead was not safe, particularly if the team with a 3-1 lead is not the team with home court advantage in a potential Game 7 and in a Game 5. If this is the year of the crazy NBA and the random NBA and the outcomes being crazy, why wouldn't be this, this be the year where we have multiple 3-1 comebacks, where we have multiple series that end up going to Game 7 from 3-1? Why not? And I'm just saying right now, it's 11.30 a.m., Howard Beck. On Thursday, whatever this this day is, it's spring, the sun is out. For a fleeting, let's say, nine and a half hours, the possibility exists of four Game 7s in the conference semifinals. All four series are currently 3-2. to two. I, after this podcast, will be hopping on an Amtrak to lovely Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to see the biggest game the Philadelphia 76ers have played in a long, long time after a landmark capital W win in Boston where we can sit here and talk about all the things Boston did wrong, unfocused offense, random offense going to nowhere, a few defensive breakdowns I didn't like, somehow forgetting all the ways in the past that they have defended the Harden and Embiid pick and roll and just letting Joel Embiid take open 14-foot jumpers over and over again. We can talk about all that. Philly went in and punched Boston in the face and won that game. They won it with clean, strategic, hard play. 
They won it with Joel Embiid absolutely terrifying every Boston player who got within 18 feet of the basket. They won it with Harden playing the Harden game the Sixers need. This pendulum we've been on of Harden scoring 40 and then Harden having a horrible game and then another horrible game and then 40. I've said all year long, the Sixers has every, have everything they need to win the title. All they need is health, which they've never had. And and they, they've kind of only had it this year somewhat because of Embiid's knee. The only obstacle other than that was the Bucks gone, the Celtics one game from being gone, and do you trust James Harden in the biggest games? And I don't need that Houston Harden. I just I've said all year, just give me good Philly Harden. Give me 22 and 10 on decent shooting. And that's enough because you have Joel Embiid and you have a roster that makes sense and you have an elite defense and all of that. And that's what they got in game five in Boston where they never relented. They never let Boston back in the game. And I cannot wait for this game tonight. I had to be there. I am going there shortly. And so as a preface to that, all NBA came out last night. The roster building implications are large now with these super max and super duper max contract eligibilities linked to this. And the headliner, I think, was that as expected, Jalen Brown made an all-NBA team. He made second team. I had him on third team, but I had it's I had him. I think he deserved to make an all-NBA team. He made it. And he will now be eligible for the biggest possible contract he could be eligible for this offseason, extension-wise, right away. And let's let's not let's not be subtle about it. If the Celtics lose tonight and lose this series, even if they lose Game 7 at home. You are coming off a finals loss where you felt like you let it slip away. You are coming off a a very disappointing season before that, a disappointing bubble before that, where they felt, again, they had a really great opportunity that they let slip away. And now this would be a second-round loss against a team you have owned for three or four years. And I kept saying, you can look up the clips on... On NBA Today and on this podcast, I said, throw that ownership record out the window. I don't care about it. I don't care about Embiid's record against the Celtics in the playoffs. I don't care about any of it. It's not relevant now, and it has proven to be not relevant now. If they run into that wall again, and they lose in this round again, as great as this team has been, as much as they've won, as young as Tatum and Brown still are in their primes, really in the early stages of their primes, particularly in Tatum's case, Brown being eligible for that contract and Tatum also being eligible for another super duper duper max and the new CBA, which, which makes it much harder when you exceed even the first apron and then the lead apron after that, they are immediately facing a decision where are, are we putting all our eggs in this basket? Cause I can tell you this. If they go to Jalen Brown and get cute and be like, I know you're eligible for 35%, but can we do like a 30% and maybe it escalates to 31%? Like, that's not going to go over well. That's not how these things go. And if they lose here and they lose in this manner where, again, the offense is unfocused, where, again, just something seems just, uh, just off enough that an apparent talent advantage does not translate to going all the way, does not translate to finishing their unfinished business, that negotiation is going to be interesting, and that end game is going to be interesting. And I don't know what would happen. Maybe the simplest thing is you just give them all the money and say, we're this good, we'll figure it out later. Maybe that's what happens. But I don't know. And that, on top of 
Philadelphia trying to break through for the first time since 2001 to the conference finals after all these disappointments against Atlanta and Miami, who might be looming in the next round. And that despite what Miami has done to Philadelphia before in the playoffs, despite the fact that Miami could be playing King Kong and Godzilla and not be scared of them in a game of basketball because they're just the heat and this is what they do and it doesn't even matter who's healthy and who's not. The winner of this series is going to be heavily favored to make the finals. And the winner of this series, if they make the finals, to me, whether it's Denver, Phoenix, Lakers, Warriors, is a, 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 a probably a 50-50 toss-up chance to win the whole damn thing. That's why I'm going to Philadelphia tonight. Um, do you have any thoughts on any of that before we get into our all-NBA ballots? Um, yeah, there's just in general with the Celtics thing, right? There is stuff looming. And, and you you and I both know this. The, the higher the expectations, the greater the consequences, and certainly the greater the conversation about the potential consequences. And often those things do go hand in hand. If we're all talking about it, it means it's real. And there are some reckonings that are going to, to happen. And in this case, we have, you know, there's the Joe Missoula thing, which people will certainly uh, go even, even deeper and more intensely on. But yeah, at the core... The entire this entire Celtics era is defined by the Tatum Brown partnership, um, and and sustainability in this league gets harder all the time. The new CBA is making it harder. There's the second apron, and what happened? Does something else come after the second apron? By the, are there are there oven mitts that they will put on you, and now you can't handle forks and knives? Like what? I don't know what happened, comes after the second apron. Nothing. No, you know what comes after the second apron? Darkness. Darkness. <laughs> darkness. <laughs> Perpetual darkness. Um, but these are real concerns. And the, like, what is the strength of the Celtics overall aside from Tatum and Brown as a tandem? Well, it's they're, they're super deep. They've got, we all said, going to the playoffs. They might have the best array of talent top to bottom of any team in the playoffs. And, and this is why a lot of people thought they should be favorites to go to the to the finals or win to, to win it all, frankly. Yeah, and guess what? Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, who is, I don't know, whatever, their uh, fifth best player, is making $22 million next season. Um and Marcus Smart makes a, a significant amount of money. And Derek White makes a significant amount of money. And, and Robert Williams does. And will will make even more in the future. And um, all of those contracts pointedly go through at minimum 2024, 2025. They're not coming off next year even. Yeah. And so when you start throwing super duper maxes on top of it for Jalen Brown, and he earned it, and we'll get into the all-NBA stuff, um, <sighs> there are some pressures there. And the one uh, like absolute rule i know about the nba where it regards owners and how they deal with their their finances and their their interest in or willingness to pay taxes and 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 punitive taxes and more punitive and repeater taxes and all this other stuff to say nothing of how that second apron and everything will start handicapping your ability to add players right there's a there's a now a a, a pay not just a a a tax issue because owners the, the the warriors and clippers were willing to spend whatever it took they didn't care hundreds of millions but now it's going to hurt your ability to keep adding uh, decent players in this new CBA. But on the finances alone, what's the one thing we know for sure? When every single ownership group in this league at some point has a conversation with their GM about, hey, we got to pay the tax this season or the super tax or this tax or that. Are we winning the championship? Are we final? Are we going to the finals? Because we haven't, we're, we spent all this money. We're not going to the final. Oh, we're not going to go to the final. Oh, wait, you can't. Yeah, and I'm not paying the tax. Like that's that's the the real conversation. Um you you can you we can look at it and say that from a basketball standpoint, it'd be crazy to break up Tatum and Brown. Uh, it'd be crazy to break up this core period. But at some point, 
if you're not getting the return that you expected or, or desired, it's a lot harder to decide to keep spending tens and hundreds of millions on luxury tax penalties if you're not winning. And that forces the the harder conversation, which is why aren't we? And, and does it mean we need to well, make they, a hard they, pivot? They are winning. I mean, this is a team yes, that was up 2-1 in, in the finals. They're in, And they're in contention every year, right? So it's a little different for them. I'm saying that's the broad conversation for any ownership group when the tax conversation happens. They but, were up 2-1 in the finals. Yeah. Yes. But there's just something about the way this team plays that leaves you confused sometimes. And like, I thought they should have been able to beat Milwaukee last season in less than seven without Chris Middleton. I Reasonable. thought they should have been able to beat the Heat last season who were injured and um, and just kind of wheezing into that series in less than seven. And they almost, I mean, no one will ever remember this because they won. That game seven Jimmy Butler shot, that would have been one of, that would have been a collapse on par with what happened to Milwaukee this season. That bad, that's stupid, that inexplicable, except they won. And maybe the stakes would, maybe it would have even been worse given what was at stake, a trip to the NBA Finals. And this season, since game two of the Hawks series, when they came out of the in the playoffs looking like, okay, we've been waiting for this and just destroyed the Hawks the first two games. They have a deep, their defense since game two has essentially been what would have been the worst defense in the NBA over the course of the regular season. 117 points allowed per 100 possessions. Some of that is teams have been hot from three. Some of that is you just face better teams in the playoffs. They just haven't been consistent enough. And we know on offense, there's going to be a six-minute stretch, maybe two, three-minute stretches of every game where they just like forget how they have gotten to where they are against this specific opponent, where they just forget George Nyang is over there and Tyrese Maxey is over there and James Harden is over there. And we just have our pick of guys that our best players can destroy. And they don't do it. And they do other stuff that is less effective. And you're like, what? why are we frittering? They fritter. They just fritter away. And here we are. And and by the way, I'm, it's all like I'm going to the game tonight because I, I would not be surprised at all if they won. And they want to hang their hat on last year. They won this game in Milwaukee in game six after a, a, a gut-wrenching game five loss. That was the game. Remember, Drew Holiday blocked Marcus Smart and then threw the ball off of him at the end of the game. That game at least was like a close neck-and-neck neck game. Game five in this series was a walloping where James Harden and Joel Embiid just took it to him. So I can't wait to see how this game goes tonight. Um, the only difference I had on my all-NBA ballot, I have, I have like no quibbles with what the final results are. The only real difference I had was one player difference. I had Drew Holiday in and Julius Randle out. And I had that by turning Doncic into a forward and putting him on second team. He was eligible both guard and forward. He's essentially a point forward. I thought Donovan Mitchell deserved the first team guard spot over Luka Doncic. This particular season, I outlined it in my column. I know Luka's better than Donovan Mitchell. I don't just blah, blah, blah. And I just thought Drew Holiday was outstanding. I just think he's better than Julius Randle. I frankly thought Jalen Brunson was a tougher Knicks omission than yes. Julius Randle. And it came down to, if I can put Luka at forward, I can get an extra guard on. And that allowed me to get Fox on my third team, because I thought he deserved it. Other than that, I have essentially all the same guys that made the all-NBA teams. I just I, I just didn't think Randall 
I Randall was really good. I have no problem with him making it. I said so in my column. I just, he just didn't make it on my ballot. Yeah. Um. Before I get to that, just one other quick, just stray thought on the Jalen Brown thing. Um. Like, I don't. I don't think the Celtics should break anything up. I don't think they're going to break anything up. I think when you have two players of that nature, you, you that that level, you just keep going. I will just say the one other element, and you've probably heard some of the same speculation around the league that I have. The one other element, ultimately, about the Celtics' future, and which is premature because they have not crashed and burned, um, and they may still go to the finals. They still they may still win it all, and, and everybody will feel differently in a lot of different ways, including the 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 players and and ownership and coaches and everybody else themselves. There's still the question about what does Jalen Brown want, and there's some of the interviews that he gave you know a month and a, a month and a half or so ago to uh, Logan Murdoch at the Ringer and and Sopan Deb at the New York Times that kind of hinted at you know some ambivalence and so I anyway there's that element too um, there's there's all kinds of issues financial it's issues it's funny that the Jalen Brown All NBA PR tour turned out to be the Jalen Brown like whoa he said what now tour that was that was an interesting part of that that was very interesting. Um, so my all NBA teams, um, I pretty much, I had all of the same players overall, not necessarily first, second, third, but of the, of the results that came out yesterday, I pretty much had all the same players. I had 14 of the same 15 players. Some of them were on different levels of the first, second, third team. The only difference I had was, uh, I had Lowry Markinen on my third team instead of Julius Randall. Um, and then, and then the other differences were were just like you know I had Lillard's second team and he finished third I you know stuff like that. I'm glad Lillard made it. I just thought he was. You just look at his numbers. He was absolutely incredible. The yes. Blazers had a positive scoring margin when he was on the floor. The Memphis fans are furious that Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. both didn't make it. I get it. Like these decisions are really hard. I didn't have either of them. And if you actually look at the numbers, Morant played 61 games. He played fewer or the same about minutes as both Curry and Lillard, even though it felt like those guys missed a ton of games. The minutes were a wash. Those guys were both better. I mean, one of them is Steph yes. Curry. We know he's better. And like those guys also didn't throw their team into like a state of of turmoil. Yeah. Like, I, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is just a victim of minutes and 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 a and a forward and a, and a forward crunch. Yes, um, forward slash and slash center crunch, really, right? Um, you know, because I think Sabonis absolutely earned it, and he made it um, as as third team center. Um, I think this is our last year of doing this by position, right? We're going positionless starting next season. I don't know, man. I can't. I think we're. I, I know. I can't keep track of it. But they play sixty five games, but ex- except if they play, if they get injured, and then they've got to play twenty minutes were, in all the games. And if you were born like, under okay, a full whatever. moon, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't. I don't like the NBA putting in those rules for our sake because I think we've actually done a good job of being. Uh, we we have regulated it ourselves as the voters. Like in general, it's been very rare for a guy to to win a major award under sixty five games anyway. But if a guy comes in at sixty four and the NBA's rule is now sixty five, you've taken the judgment out of our hands to say, well, it was only sixty four, but I like this guy at sixty four better than that guy at sixty eight, right? Like this guy was better in those sixty four. Anyway, um, I NBA also grievance, I also yeah. um, I've always it's it's bizarre of me to say because I I like the idea of all NBA without positions. So maybe I'm I'm contradicting myself and I'm not thinking logically. I like that all defense has positions and I'm kind of sad that all defense is not going to have positions because if we're just going to reward the best defensive players, which maybe is fine, that's what we're doing. It's it's obviously going to skew size because that you just have more of an impact yeah. if you're bigger. 
And so the first team could be four centers and Draymond Green. You know, it could be Bam Adebayo, Draymond Green, Brooke Lopez, you know, Rudy Gobert, whoever you want to say. I kind of like that you have to search for the guards who are the best at fighting through screens at the point of attack, the best just hounding, you know, multiple positions one-on-one, twos and threes, the best at shooting around pin downs without getting beat because those are important skills and you feel in the playoffs in particular the difference between a defender who's really good at those things and a defender who's not good at those things and and offenses structuring their attacks to like go at the guys who are not good I just I kind of like the guards on all defense I like that exercise to that to that point um you know there's a reason we went like 25 years between guards winning defensive player of the year because that award has always skewed toward the bigs, toward shot blockers and, and rim protectors. And, and all. so it, I think it will be more problematic for, for the all defensive teams than say all NBA, but all NBA, the problem we've had is that everybody always refers to it as the best, best 15 players. And it's not been the best 15. It's been the best six forwards and the best six guards and the best three centers. And that's not the same thing as saying the best 15 players. And I think a lot of people like the idea of just having the best 15, which by the way, uh, reminds me of this, like NBA grievance, Twitter goes into overdrive uh, when awards come out. Cause everybody wants to scream about, you just their got, you just got to log off. Just, can, just, just log <laughs> off, man. The people who complain about Twitter, I'm like, just log off. There's no law. You got to be on it. Just it's log on, off. It's, it's, it's awesome. If it's great saying, to log off. The people who are saying like the all NBA third team would have like beaten the all NBA first. If that's not the exercise, who, I can't even believe I'm glad that I've reached a point in life where like once a week <laughs> a conversation like this happens where someone in and around the NBA is like, hey, did you see this thing on social media? Everyone's talking about it. I'm like, no, I didn't even whatever what you just said. I had no idea was a thing. And I'm just so happy it's, that I had no idea. It's a um, thing. I, it, it's uh I, you know where this conversation is and these, this grievance is not happening on Blue Sky, which I'm on now. And I can't wait to get some invites for Blue Sky so I can bring on you and everybody else from our NBA universe. It's a much more peaceful. What, I don't even know what the hell that is. Blue, Blue Sky is the is the new Twitter alternative. Uh, it, it's 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 very nice. It's very pleasant so far. Uh, there, yeah, there are no that's going to la- that'll that'll last. I'm sure that I'm sure it'll stay just just like that. Uh, anyway, it's you know, it's it's good for the time. What's being. the old um, Yo- what's the old Yogi Berra saying? Nobody ever goes there anymore. It's too crowded. That well, that would be Twitter. Um, the uh, but the other one is the John Morant thing, which um, and I and I think I think it was was it Trey Young's father who was who was uh citing this last night on Twitter and, and complaining I about don't it. Like, no, I don't know, Howard. You don't know because you're not know. on Twitter. You you lead a much more healthy, mentally healthy existence than I do, Zach. But I've known this for some time. Um. The, the John Morant thing, like you you spelled it out very well in terms of just the, the, the basics. Games played and minutes played and how well, you know, what Curry did, what Lillard did, everything else. Also, there was a guard glut. Also, yes, it is fair to say when people say, well, you shouldn't consider this off the court thing. The off the court thing cost him eight games of eligibility on the court. And John Morant himself said after they were eliminated in the playoffs, I was a distraction. My my situation became a distraction. Like, okay, yeah, distractions cost teams games. They cost teams continuity. They cost teams, uh, you know, uh, you know, a sense of of camaraderie. They cost teams a lot of things. He hurt his team, and he took himself out of play for eight games based on his own actions. So, like, that's fair to to factor in. And besides that, again, we just had so many great candidates at guard. Um, not everybody's going to make it. It's impossible. So, yeah, at the highest level. You're splitting hairs, and that's a hair I can split. 
It's demon time on Prize Picks, where you can now win up to 100 times your money. That's right, 100 times your money. With as little as four correct picks, you can turn $10 into $1,000. Demons and Goblins are the newest and most exciting way to play at Prize Picks. Squares marked with red demons or green goblins get you different payouts. And as always, Prize Picks is really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. They even offer injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Just download the app today and use code LOW for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LOW on the Prize Picks app for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts, 122 million for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Let's go on to the playoff series that don't resume until tomorrow so we have a little more time to dig in. Big picture question, Mr. Beck. To my point earlier about can we get four game sevens? Oh, my God. That would be incredible. Who do you have more faith in to win game six on the road? The New York Knicks in Miami or the Golden State Warriors in Staples Center, which I will always call Staples Center, even though it's named after a a convenience store where you buy like Dunder Mifflin products. (laughs) Um, I I believe the great Bill Plaschke at one point when they first opened Staples Center back in the day uh, was trying to... He was using this this convention where instead of calling it Staples Center, because nobody wanted to call it that, you know, they just come from the forum, which granted was the Great Western Forum, but Great Western Forum, while Great Western was a bank in California, all of us grew up, especially me growing up in the Bay Area, the Great Western Forum just sounded like a cool name. This isn't just a forum. This is the Great MF and Western Forum, right? It is great. It is Western. And it's a forum. I didn't know it's it was same, a bank. It's the same thing as the Air Canada Center, which I will always call what is now the ScotiaBankFleet.com Pool and Weed Eater Arena or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, in Air Canada, it sounds great because it's in Canada. Air Canada was Vince Carter's one of his nicknames. And then like you don't. Your brain doesn't put the things together like when your Air Canada flight is delayed for five hours. And you're like freaking Air Canada. You just don't <laughs> you don't put it together that oh yeah that's what the arena name that I really like yeah. is named after. So so we were, we were all so like uh you know you know grizzled journalists being grumpy about corporate sponsorships of arenas. Um, Plasky, if I recall this correctly, Bill will correct me if I'm wrong or somebody will on his behalf. He was referring to Staples Center as the superstore. Because I think back then Staples would call themselves the office superstore or something. And so that was he was trying to get that to stick. It didn't stick. Um, also, by the way, back then, uh, uh, the the PR folks on behalf of Staples Center were very, very insistent that it is not the Staples Center. It's just Staples Center 
do not say they played that they won last night at the Staples Center. It's just Staples Center. They were very uptight about that. Um, I don't think they try correcting us anymore on that. And also answer the question, the Beck. Um, I have more faith in the in a defending champion always, always, always. And I have a in an unreasonable, I will admit this outright, I have an unreasonable amount of faith in the Warriors in all situations. And many times this season and in this postseason, when things have looked bleak, I'm like, I'm not out. I'm just never out on a team that still has Steph Curry functioning at this level alongside Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and coached by Steve Kerr. Like, I I, I just haven't... Uh, sometimes- Steve Kerr, who, like, a whole segment of Warriors fans want fired and thinks he's, like, a bad coach. How do you know this? Because- Were you on social media, Zach? No, that has, that, has, <laughs> that has gotten to me at this point. And because he doesn't run enough Steph pick and roll, which we're going to talk oh about. And like, yeah. okay, so who do you want to coach the team? Like, all the guy has done. Now, yes, they had Durant for two years. Do you want to just throw those Durant championships out the window and say, I could have coached the team? Maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe not. It's clearly worked. So go ahead. Like, you want to get rid of him and hire who? Who? Anyway. Yeah. Um, also, also, by the way, a, well, we'll get into it later. Um, I have more faith in in the Warriors, and I and I admit, even over the course of this season, with despite the unsightly road record, despite everything they went through, Wiggins being gone, the Draymond punch in the preseason, everything, I, I just I refuse to not believe in this team because we we've we've seen what they're able to do, we've seen the resiliency, we we when we see when they're at their best, they are still devastating and amazing and fun. Um, and they just saved their season last night, and I and I absolutely believe they can do it again. Um, we haven't, there's now an Anthony Davis question, uh, which I, I assume will like, I, I guess there's the sense is that he does not have a concussion. So probably he's playing Friday, but that looked kind of serious. And the reports of him going out in a wheelchair don't sound great. Um, I'm sure that's just precautionary, whatever, but, um, I have more faith in the Warriors being the Warriors than I do the Knicks winning a game in Miami. Um, especially after, after expending themselves to the degree they had to last night. And, and look, those guys are young. You know, Grimes and Brunson, I don't want to overemphasize the, the 48 minute thing. They're young. They're fine. I'm sure they can play all out and maybe go 48 again on Friday night. But um, but I just think that the the Knicks have have literally and figuratively been playing from behind in this series anyway. Um, I have I think I have more faith in the in the heat and Jimmy Butler being able to close it out at home. I also have have more faith in the Warriors. They're experience and pedigree speaks for itself that series has evolved a little bit every game in interesting ways we'll get to the Knicks later then um I mean you just look at the minutes from last night the 48 and the 48 obviously stand out can they do that again it's one of the great things about the playoffs at some point you get to see players in the times that are most desperate just push themselves to the absolute limit can I let's see what I can do? Can I go the full 48 and never come out of the game and be productive the entire time and not be a liability on defense for too many possessions because I'm trying to rest and Quentin Grimes can't rest on defense. He's guarding Jim Butler a lot. And it's just you just sit there in awe of what these guys can do when everything is on the line. You sit there in awe. I will never ever forget a minute 30 left to go. Quentin Grimes runs into a pick, hurts his leg, is limping around, and then gets up and has to guard Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, the guy who has owned the whole postseason in a close game, and picks him clean for a steal. And it was one of those steals when you watched it on replay, you kind of felt like he said to himself, 
hey, I'm not going to be able to stay in front of this guy. I'm hurting. I'm limping. I just got to go for it, and maybe I can end the possession like this. I just got to sell out for the steal, and he got it. It's what we watch for, that kind of stuff, and you admire it. Then you look at the minutes. like McBride played one minute. Quickly's been out. Josh Hart played nine minutes, and he's back to having the yips uh, shooting-wise right now. He doesn't want to take shots. Toppin only played 12, and they were good minutes. We'll talk about that for sure. It's like you kind of played six guys in a little bit. Like That's where we got to with the Knicks. Hartenstein is the sixth guy, and, and that's that's hard, and to do that again in Miami is, is going to be tough. Let's talk Warriors-Lakers. The Warriors last night uh, won 121-106. The total score of the series is now 558 Warriors, 554 Lakers. Warriors plus four. Obviously, look, I'm not going to sit here and discuss the Anthony Davis thing. I don't know what his state is. I've actually heard this morning some tepid optimism that he will be able to play in game six. just tweeted, in fact, uh, that he's expected to play. Okay, well, there you go. He's expected to play. You just hope he's okay and this isn't, you know, a case of like let's trudge through it like they barring would have done in the fifties. Sorry, interrupt. Barring a setback, he's expected to play. I should. Well, say. we're all expected to play barring a setback um, <laughs> every day, and and you just hope he's okay. And because I just don't think they have any shot to win. I don't care if the game is in um, the playgrounds of Venice Beach um, without Anthony Davis. Yeah. Um, the series has been a very defense first series. 111 points per 100 possessions. Warriors 110.5. Lakers. Those would be like bottom five offenses in the regular season. Um, and to me, Mr. Beck, the most interesting battleground in this series, the zones that I really pay attention to like like a hawk, are Draymond Green at center. And that's what they're starting now with the GP2 lineup. Versus the Lakers with no Vanderbilt on the floor and Anthony Davis on the floor. And it presents the Lakers a choice of who do we want Anthony Davis to guard? Do we want him to guard Draymond Green, their best screener and playmaker? Or do we want to shift him onto Andrew Wiggins or even Gary Payton II, which we haven't seen much uh, since the first half of game four? Andrew Wiggins and make the Warriors, if they want to get AD involved in the play, if they want him on the ball, if they want to drag him out to the perimeter, use Wiggins as a screen setter who's not as good of a passer, not as quick twitch of a thinker, but pretty good, pretty good, um, as Draymond Green. Conversely, that then presents the Warriors a choice, depending on where Anthony Davis is. If he's on Andrew Wiggins, which has been the Lakers' choice for a lot of these minutes, okay, so I got a choice now. I, I, do I bring Draymond Green as my screen setter? And let Anthony Davis be off the ball, but but he's guarding Andrew Wiggins, who's kind of a good shooter, and we can put Andrew Wiggins like up high on the arc and see if we can kind of park Anthony Davis out of the play on the perimeter, bring Draymond Green back into the action, especially if LeBron's guarding him. Like maybe we can tire out LeBron a little bit more, and he's clearly already dealing with a foot injury and only really summoning like the ferocity of peak LeBron a few possessions a game when he feels they really need it. I think we'll see more of that in an urgent, urgent home game in game six. Do we, do we do that? Or, or do we just want Anthony Davis in the play regardless? And, and do we want him at the level of the screen regardless? Do we want him on the ball regardless? And just to get him away from the rim and get them in rotation. And the Warriors for the most part 
in game five chose, we want Anthony Davis on the ball. We don't want to get cute and park him over at the side because we still think he's dangerous as a helper because we actually kind of like what we're getting when they bring him up on the ball with Steph, put two on the ball, and Steph can cook from there. He can split a little bit. He rejected the screen and, and got a drive when Anthony Davis guessed the wrong way. Andrew Wiggins has been flipping screens and confusing Anthony Davis a little bit, flipping from one direction to the other. If they put two on the ball, that pocket passes there. And yeah, we have faith Andrew Wiggins can make a play, even with two non-shooters, Gary Payton II and Draymond Green behind him so the Lakers can really muck up that spacing. They like that better. They have largely been proven right. And last night, the series took what might be its final stylistic evolution when the Warrior, when the Lakers rather decided, we're just switching. We're switching. We're not putting two on the ball anymore. You're hurting us too much with that. No matter what we do, you're hurting us too much with that. We're switching Anthony Davis on Steph Curry. We'll even we'll leave there. We're switching Anthony Davis on Steph Curry, and we're going to live with it. And to me, that, that felt, and my feeling might be wrong, it felt like a W for the Warriors. That felt like a win. That felt like surrender from the Lakers. Because you think, well, despite that one amazing defensive possession Anthony Davis played to shut down Curry at the end of game, game four, kind of like Curry, like Curry can do some damage one-on-one against Anthony Davis, stretch him out. And, and as soon as the Warriors saw that switching, they didn't just let Steph Curry go one-on-one. Because I think one of the reasons the, the Lakers like the idea of switching is if Steph just starts cooking a little bit, maybe Clay's not as involved. Maybe the beautiful game kind of dies out. They started to, they let Steph cook some, and he's very good at that. They went to Draymond in the post or Wiggins in the post and started their split actions and off ball actions with Anthony Davis on Curry and and said, part of how we're going to attack this is we are going to make Anthony Davis move around the floor and chase Steph off the ball. And if you want to start switching all that stuff, well, then. That's good for us. We know how to move around. There will be little gaps we can exploit. And if Draymond somehow gets a switch, they've gone super old school and posted up Draymond Green a few times. And Draymond is always, we, we, I interviewed him about this like eight years ago. You put a guard on me, I can take him to the block and, we ha- and score. And we haven't seen any of that for years and years. And he's drawn fouls and made his free throws. But the numbers, Mr. Beck, say that so far switching has been better for the Lakers than the other strategy of putting two on the ball. And I'll get into the numbers later. So even though it felt like a W for Golden State, they they haven't quite wrung as much out of it as they were ringing out of two on the ball. I just can't wait to see how this evolves in game five because this has become like a problem-solving series on that end of the floor in a really fascinating way. No question. And I think I saw the stat earlier. <clears throat> I didn't I didn't go to look to verify. I think like they've gone two straight games. Anthony Davis has not had a block. Um, like that seems significant. It, it, like the Warriors are making a concerted effort to get him out of the paint. Um, it is it, it does feel like of, of all the things that the Warriors have to solve, like it, it's Anthony Davis is the biggest thing, right? Like by far. This is not it, it, this is not to diminish what LeBron James can still do to you and the ways he can punish you. This is not to diminish, um, you know, anything that the supporting cast may do on a, on a given night, but um, Anthony Davis is this unique quantity that 
it's funny. So I, I, I had this this wonderful gaffe on uh, on Tom Tolbert's show in the Bay Area last night um, while while uh, standing in the underbelly of the garden doing the, the radio interview where he was asking about the Anthony Davis issue and, and, and the Warriors having to 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 contend with that. And I said, listen, I don't in this in the course of their run over the last eight years, like how often have they had to deal with an Anthony Davis type of player uh, to which uh, Marcus Thompson listening at home quickly texted <laughs> Tolbert or somebody saying, um, when Anthony Davis was playing with the Pelicans, the Warriors played him then, and I, which I had conveniently forgotten. Yeah, but that was a, that was it was a different yes, different that was time. Not a series the Pelicans were going to win. Yeah. Um, also, I think Anthony Davis has evolved quite a bit since then. Anyway, um, and just just smarter, well-rounded player, and in the way that he, that he uh, uh, can be a disruptor on defense, especially away from the basket. I, I just think that he's a different element now, and I don't think it's something that the Warriors have had to contend with very often. And so, like, there is a unique aspect of this. I think uh, again, unless I'm forgetting about some other Anthony Davis facsimile or Anthony Davis himself along the way. Um, like it, it feels like that's the key pivot point in all of this. And if you can keep him out of the paint um, and manage that and negate some of his his uh, his rim protection and his rebounding, then, you know, you're a lot of the way there. Um, and then, you know, look, Andrew, Andrew Wiggins had his best game of, of the postseason just on the on the stats alone last night. Um, 25 points was the most he'd scored in, in any game this postseason. I felt like Wiggins has been kind of I, I, don't, I don't know how much has been focused on elsewhere but it just seems like overall this postseason like Wiggins and Poole is is where the Warriors are having their issues like the clay is up and down he has his great games and he's he's had some some duds as he did last night but like I feel like overall if the Warriors just get uh some reasonable amount from uh Wiggins and Poole and I don't mean just in this series um but overall, like that's that's their fate in a lot of ways. I, I'm not, you know, I don't worry about what they're going to get from Curry, and I don't expect we're going to get more 20 point games from Draymond necessarily. But um, it, it seems to me like the Warriors, the the volatility that they have right now, the volatility they've had all season, I think has so much more to do with you know a couple of very key ancillary guys. I think Wiggins has been fine. I thought he was absolutely out of this world last night. And the scoring, like, uh, obviously that's great. And the manner of it was great. He hit a couple open threes. He, they gave him post-up chances against D'Angelo Russell and Lonnie Walker, which is something I think they should be doing a little bit more. And they did it a little bit more last night. And I just thought, like, his gang rebounding in the series, coming in from the perimeter to help on the boards has been awesome. He had two possessions when they switched him onto Davis. One just an, a ferocious box out. Like everything physically he had to give to keep Anthony Davis off the glass he gave and they got the team rebound. And another one, they posted up Anthony Davis against him and he knocked away the entry pass. This is the kind of stuff that people in Minnesota were asking, like, why doesn't he get more rebounds? Why doesn't he do it? He's doing all that stuff. I thought he was, and he w was working as like a connector on offense, a couple pump, go, drive, kick. Jordan Poole got a three out of one of them. I thought it was a sensational Andrew Wiggins game. Pool is just going to be pool. I'm just kind of, you know, eh on all, all the pool stuff. But um, look here, are the here are the pick and roll stats for all the, all the pick and roll zealots in the Bay Area. Game four, Steph ran 48 pick and rolls. That is his most in any game since 2017. Wow, 1.175 points per possession. Very good. That's very that's 
blazing, borderline blazing. Game five last night, 34 pick and rolls, so 14 fewer, still his 15th most of the season. 1.035 points mm. per possession, so much lower. And I think indicative that the switching so far has been better for the Lakers than not switching. And I am very interested to see how the Lakers approach that pivot point in game six. Stan Van Gundy in game four mentioned something that I had thought about and brought up on the podcast before that of these pocket passes Curry is getting when they put two on the ball are just too easy. And he said, I I almost wonder if they should just all out blitz him just for the sake of get him moving backwards, make those passes a little bit harder. And it is something that I had thought about and they they don't appear to want to do it. It's not really in their DNA, how they defend. I I just think if they're going to start the game, putting Anthony Davis two on the ball, they've got, it wouldn't surprise me if they tried some tactical tweak to make those passes a little bit harder. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, do they try to pre-switch him out of the pick and roll? Like you see some teams do with their big man. I even thought of like, would they even mess around with like a box and one just to avoid this entire dilemma? I don't think they're going to do that. I just think the blitzing is an interesting idea from Stan because if Draymond and Gary Payton II are behind the play, like Wiggins is the screener, you have two bad shooters, non-shooters behind the play, and you kind of dare the Warriors by blitzing him to make more plays in more space and dare those guys to to make – obviously, they can make plays as Draymond Green. I just think it's an interesting idea. But it's, it's pretty clear that the Warriors are going to try to get Anthony Davis on the ball, and it's pretty clear that the Lakers are going to switch more and that's just that's just fascinating to me. I, I do and on the flip side, I also wonder if the Warriors should maybe try a little bit the alternate strategy of like let's see what it looks like when we park Anthony Davis over on the side, get Wiggins out of the play, space him really far, as far out as we can, and bring up Draymond as a screener and force LeBron, who's often guarding Draymond in those minutes, to work really, really, really hard on the ball and see if we can get something out. Just, like, see what that looks like. I just think that chess match is is really interesting and, frankly, I think more interesting than what's happening on the other end of the floor with the Lakers offense, which which we can talk about. But I, I this, this has been not the explosive, like, glamour series that I think it was billed, at, billed as, but a defense-first, really interesting, really interesting series. Uh, all in, all fascinating. Uh, no notes. Those pick and roll stats are, are, are absolutely fascinating. Yes. And especially for the, uh, segment of warrior fan base. That is the, uh, the pick and roll fetishists. The other thing is, um, the warriors turnover rate last night, they had 14 turnovers that translated to a pretty high turnover rate. The Lakers also had 14 turnovers. So it was even the free throws were more even like those are the areas of the game that if they're just even, the Warriors are probably going to win the game. That's where the Lakers are winning these games. And the turnovers are not necessarily... Obviously, they're torp- you don't get a shot off if you commit a turnover, right? Like that's, that's bad. You have a decent offensive team to a very good one some nights. That's bad. And some of the Warriors' turnovers, we know, are just insane. They're just plays of insanity. Um, I think, actually, that's what the coaches used to call them back in the day, plays of insanity. 
I feel like uh, they had more of those in the Kings series than they've had in this series, right? Like, they just seemed like they were all over the place for a and while. And yet, the end of game four, they run the freaking hammer play against Darvin Ham, the namesake of the hammer play, and Draymond throws the ball to nobody. And then the first five minutes of last night, they had four turnovers there. Like, where are you guys... Where is that pass intended to go? Like, Draymond Green tried that crazy pass from the corner to Gary Payton Jr. in the middle of the paint trying to seal off LeBron. I think he's like, what is this pass? What are you guys doing? This is game five. Your season's on the line. But to me, the number one priority for the Warriors is you just have to keep the Lakers out of transition. I just don't know if the Lakers can score enough points in the half court to win to win even one more game against the Warriors. They're subsisting on these transition points. Their offense has has just not been good. Their half-court offense has just not been very good. Neither has the Warriors, by the way. But last night, I felt in particular they just played in the mud the whole game. And that third quarter, fourth quarter, it was like Lonnie Walker pick and roll along two, D'Angelo Russell pick and roll along two, Dennis Schroeder pick and roll along two. Let's try an Anthony Davis post up on Draymond Green. That's not going to work. It's Draymond Green. Let's try D'Angelo Russell post up. That's probably not going to work. Just in the mud, Draymond's pick and roll defense, the way he's dropping back and taking the angles and getting back in front of AD so quickly has been just incredible. And they're just not getting good looks out of that. And that comes down to like, Last night was a relatively passive LeBron game. And I think they're going to just need one more active, 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 as active as he can get, given the foot injury and the age and the minutes and all that, to put the Warriors away. And I think the Warriors have a good, a decent chance to win game six. Like this, I picked Warriors in seven before the series. I don't know. I don't know what the hell is going to happen, but I, I don't look at last night. I'm sure there was some element of last night of the Lakers, particularly when they fell behind, saying, all right, we have game six at home. We have game six at home. Come out roaring, save a little energy for that game. But I don't look at that as like an enormous advantage game for the Lakers, the way it seemed against Memphis. If the Warriors win game six, do you assume that your seven-game prediction is then, I mean, obviously it's on track, but like, uh, are we of the belief that the game six winners, because in both cases, they're going to be going home um, in, in these two series that were uh, the, the Lakers Warriors and, uh, and, and Nick's heat does winning because this is what, this is the way it, it starts to go, right? Well, if you, if you get it back home, you've got it. Um, so you asked me the question of, of how much faith do I have in either of these teams to go win the road game to save their season? How much faith do you have in the uh, Warriors versus the Knicks to then win the game seven if they in fact extend these i think the warriors would be favorites at home i mean i don't i wouldn't like to lebron james for sure like winning one game against lebron james i don't care what state he's in is a daunting daunting task um i would just say they're i would say 60 40 favorites like i would be fairly confident in the warriors but not that but not that um confident and look, I mean, this is like on Get Up yesterday, we did the Warriors around 3-1, and we did the whole, like, is this it? Is this the end of the dynasty? And I said, I just have too much respect for these guys to have this conversation until they're out. Yeah. Until they're out, I'm, I'm just not doing it to that degree that they wanted to have it. And B, look, I don't know what's going to happen, and it starts with Bob Myers. If Bob Myers is handling whatever negotiations have to happen with Draymond Green— on a new deal, if he opts out, whatever negotiations have to happen with Clay Thompson on a potential extension, and the, I, I know it was floated that Clay Thompson wants a max. That's just 
I want a lot of things that I'm not going to get. Like, that's not going to happen. If Bob Myers is doing those negotiations, it's one thing. If somebody else with less gravitas, less camaraderie, less goodwill with the players is doing it, it's a different thing. But I would still bet right now, based on what I've heard and what I think and how they're playing on the court, I think those three guys, I would bet, obviously I'm not certain, I'm not predicting that it's going to happen with any kind of certainty, I would bet on Steph, Clay, and Draymond all being on the Warriors next year. And if they have to cut costs, looking at other ways to cut costs. But that's, next year is not here yet. It's not here for at least another 48 hours or 36 hours or some amount of hours. Agreed. And and I, th- I think that despite everything that they've gone through this season and all the doubts that that were baked into it and everything starting with the Draymond punch of Jordan Poole back in October, like... Uh, all, all, all things being on the table, all doubts, all like all justifiable, all you know, understandable. But I think the relative success of this season, um, despite whatever weirdness, despite the road record, despite whatever, there they have shown de- demonstrably, I think definitively, that there's still life left in this team, and you don't break that up prematurely if you don't have to. And that includes Bob Myers, by the way. Like I, I, I don't, I still don't quite understand. I'm not sure anybody does what you know, why, why there's even a question there. Um, but, you know, Draymond opts out, resigns, extends, whatever. Like I, they've weathered this, they have weathered this and they have, sh- and they have shown that that core still has uh, a heck of a lot left in them. And you don't break that up until you absolutely have to. And if somebody decides, like if Draymond himself decided, I want to go, I mean, well, then you can't do anything about that if he just wanted to move on for some reason. I have no reason to believe that he that he does. And there's been no indication that he does. From an organizational standpoint, there should be no reason whatsoever to decide if this goes the wrong way tomorrow night or or at some point in this postseason that suddenly it's over. That I, I, I think that would be um, a, a, a tragedy of sorts in the basketball realm. I'm not ready to talk about it yet. Three (laughs) small battlegrounds to watch in game six to whet your appetite. Number one, the Warriors are sitting, for the most part, Draymond and Curry together, which has always made me nervous when you take your two most creative players off the floor, and they obviously are doing it to maximize their creative togetherness. They're winning those minutes in this series. They They were a disaster against the Kings. They're winning them in this series. That's number one. When the Lakers go super small, they didn't play Gabriel in the non-AD minutes last night. Looney is usually in the game, and Looney is destroying those lineups on the offensive glass. Those lineups have a defensive rebounding uh, number of 64%, which is a, a disaster. And three, and probably the most urgent, the Lakers' transition defense just has to be better. And that's two things. Number one, their first step last night, and I'm talking about guards in the corners. D'Angelo Russell had a couple. Lonnie Walker had a couple. It just has to be faster. And you can't get picky against the Warriors. And by that, I mean Dennis Schroeder's guarding Steph Curry, but Steph Curry's not guarding Dennis Schroeder, so they're on opposite sidelines when a shot goes up. Oh, my God, Dennis Schroeder has to run all the way across the court to find Steph Curry. No, who's ever near Steph Curry, just take Steph Curry, find the matchups, figure it out another way. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. 
You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Heat Knicks, the weak sister of the four series, so to speak, in part because it just you watch these teams and they're just it's so grimy. It's so grimy. Slow and grimy. And you kind of trick yourself into thinking like, look, do either of these teams really have a chance in the next round? Like, is this really? But you just never know, as the Heat have reminded us in the first round. The Knicks behind a gigantic 40-19 to free throw advantage last night. Behind an all-time great New York Knicks game from Jalen Brunson. 37 points, I think, or 38 points in all 48 minutes. Efficient shooting. Found found a little ISO. Found a little ISO gear that he's kind of had a hard time getting to because the Heat are defending him in smart ways. Um, and Julius Randle, in what really felt like an important moment for him and the franchise, came alive in the third quarter after the first half was like, is this going to be another bad Julius Randle game where he just, like goes one-on-one against Bam out of bio. Like, that's a good idea. Like, anyone on earth thinks that's a good idea. And then he went out of the game, and Obi Toppin came in the game, and all of a sudden the Knicks played, like, fast and free and went on a run to get back in the game. Miami was up 10, and it kind of felt like, oh, is this going to be this kind of game where Miami just has already stolen their their soul and is going to close it out? And Julius Randle came alive in the third quarter, made some shots, played some bully ball, threw some really nice passes, and I thought that was critical for him. And I'm telling you, Howard, I think the Heat will win game six because I just think so much was expended by the Knicks to win game five, and the recovery is going to be hard. But I just... I. Like, I think the Knicks have a chance. Like, I think this could go seven. I think they could win in seven. Like, this this felt like a series everyone threw in the trash when it was 3-1. And I get why. The Knicks haven't looked good for a lot of this series. It's not like Miami is some supernova, incredible team. That said, they have the best player. And they're now 3-1 and one in this series when that guy plays. And so, I still feel pretty confident in Miami, but not like that confident. How do you feel? They're 3-1 and one when that guy plays. And in the one that they lost, game two, uh, which I attended at the Garden, I thought that that, while it went down as a Knicks win, because it was, it didn't feel like much of one. Like, I, I left there that night going, holy moly. They had Bam Adebayo and all of the scrap heap dudes, right? And I say that in the most respectful way possible. Like, it's the Caleb Martins and Cody Zellers and all the undrafted guys and all the second-round picks and all the two-way guys. And like... How is this team doing this? And it was down to the last like two or three minutes before the Knicks put that game away. And I like that's incredible. And I I just I left there that night saying, okay, the Knicks got back in. It's now one one instead of oh two, because it would have been over at that point. But I, I left there just being more impressed by the Heat because of what they were able to do with no Jimmy Butler and a team that even when it has Jimmy Butler has such a hard time manufacturing offense a lot of the time. And this is why, you know, one of the reasons they were 
an eighth seed, technically seventh place, whatever in the regular season in the first place, because they just don't have that much offensive firepower or that much shot creation. And they're relying on like a 72 year old Kyle Lowry. And like, it was incredible what good. they did in game who's, two. Who's been good. He's been, he's been pretty good uh, last night. Not so much, but, 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 but pretty good. Um, and, and, and critical to their, to their uh, whole postseason. Um, and again, like, you know, Kevin Love, like we all have a great regard for Kevin Love, but at this stage of his career and a guy who was bought out by another team a few months ago, like it's incredible what the Heat have continue to manufacture with the roster that they have. Um, heat culture is a real thing. Kirk Goldsberry laid it all out statistically and otherwise uh, yesterday on your on your website. So um, I, that's been my overall impression. I was there last night for... Um, the first half, I bailed at halftime because I wanted to be home in time to watch the tail end of that game and, and all, watch Warriors-Lakers from, from tip-off. The first quarter at the Garden felt so tense, Zach, as you might imagine. And you mentioned Julius Randle. I had that same feeling, and it felt like the whole Garden had that same feeling where Randle had one of those, he's like, he's stuck in the corner, I think, I think it was with Bam, and he just, he had the ball for like, like just an eternity and then missed. And you could just feel the wind or the 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 breath coming out of out of the the crowd. And oh my gosh, this is gonna be one of those nights, not just for him, but for the team. And man, all the credit in the world to Julius Randle because it was a really awkward, ugly start for him. And he ended up having a really nice game. And and Brunson was absolutely spectacular. And you mentioned that Grimes play. I, oh, I thought Grimes was going to be out for the playoffs. I thought he I thought it was like, oh my God, look at the way he's moving. Like my daughter's on the couch with me and she's like Oh man, that looks like a really bad sprain, and we're, you know we're doing the you know doctors from from home thing. But it it looked horrific. He could barely move, and he gets he gets the strip, and then stayed in the game, and then like you know finished the plays forty eight minutes. Like I I, I kind of like there's an injury report I'm kind of curious about today. Like what's the, what's the aftermath on on Quentin Grimes? Is he okay? But that was that was just awesome. Like that's an all timer. That was you know it's just a sec it's a second round game, and it's a game five second round. No, but that that's that's but a was, play. That was, uh, whenever I see Quentin Grimes, that's the first thing I'm going to think about. Until sure. he does something else that's amazing, sure. which he might do tomorrow. He should have a very uh, great long career after this. But that that like that's a that's a signature moment for a young guy. I mean, it's, it's funny. Some we, somebody asked me the other day, why are they when the Heat were up three one? Like, why are how are the Heat doing this? Like, why are they up three one against the Knicks? Like, what's the explanation? Like, what does the numbers say? What is it? And I said in a very, like, not-made-for-TV answer. I said, well, number one, they have the best player. And number two, I just feel like they're a little bit better at a lot of things. And that just sort of adds up over the course of a game to, like, an eight-point win or a seven-point win. Like, they, they have a little bit more shooting. They have a little bit more creativity among their big men, particularly in terms of the combined passing and shooting that they get out of, like, the Love out of bio, Martin out of bio combination. They've been a little more careful with the ball. They have 15 fewer turnovers. The offensive rebounds are actually about even, which is a win for for the Heat, considering how much the Knicks depend on this. The free throws were advantage Heat until last night. Now it's slight advantage Knicks. Just think they're just a little bit more creative and a little bit better. And the story of this series in a lot of ways is both teams are trying to hunt the worst perimeter defender on the other team. Oftentimes that's like Brunson, for the Knicks, like, can, can Jimmy Butler get Brunson in a mismatch? They've actually hunted Brunson other ways, which I think is really smart, which is if he's guarding Max Struess, just run him around, run him around. Duncan Robinson, run him around, run him around. And on the other end, can Jalen Brunson find, you know, his way to 
Duncan Robinson or Max Struess and go one-on-one against those guys in pick and roll. Like, where's Duncan Robinson's guy? Bring him up to me. And, like, they, neither team has been able to get a whole lot of traction. They haven't been able to get switches as often as they, I think, anticipated. They haven't even been able to get, like, okay, you're not switching. Maybe uh, the screener can roll into open space and we can play four on three. They haven't even been able to get that because particularly the heat defense is just saying, we're going to clog the paint. So if that guy rolls, we're going to ignore Josh Hart. We're going to ignore RJ bear. We're going to ignore your centers. And that guy's not going to have any space to roll in. And they're like, all right, let's, what's, what's plan B. And it's been kind of interesting to see the teams um, go to plan B. And by the way, Randall, I, I just think his defense in the series has been awful. And one of the ways that the plan B one of the plan B's has been, let's just put Kevin Love in a bunch of screening actions because we don't think Julius Randle can hedge and recover, probably because he's dealing with an ankle injury that you know he kind of came back quickly from. And I just think his defense on Love has been bad. They got lucky that Love missed like seven wide open threes last night. I expect them to attack that way again um, and go at Randle and see what he has. But neither team has really been able to like it's just kind of been grimy. Like we got to f- just find something. What what can we find? Like every possession is just a search, like a search for something. Quentin, Quentin Grimesy. It's gotten Quentin Grimesy. Oh yeah. Frank Grimesy. Remember just, Frank that, Grimes from the Simpsons? Grimey? <laughs> it's just sitting right in front of us. There's a, there's an actual Grimes in the series. Um, yes, but I, but that's what we should expect, right? Like the profile of these two teams in the regular season Um Although I will say, actually, uh, the Knicks' offensive efficiency rating in the regular season was 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 higher than I would Dude, anticipate. It was, they were the third best the offense top, in the yeah. NBA. I yeah, just, they were actually. I think they were like nineteenth defensively, which is which is exactly the opposite of what you would have expected. In thirty right? years, I'm gonna like bring up NBA.com and do some historical deep dive and be like, wait, what? How is that even? Or even now, you could look at that and go, what? <laughs> In it related news, in related news, just semi-related news, Howard. We are five days from the NBA draft lottery, where whoever oh, the Dallas Mavericks representative is going to be sitting in the drawing room, pooping his or her pants if they lose that pick, and the NBA representatives are going to be pooping their pants in abject fear and terror that the Dallas Mavericks will get lucky and win the freaking lottery and be rewarded for their shameless, awful losing intentionally at the end of the season scheme. I was sitting. Jalen Brunson plays for the Knicks. That's the connection. Uh, yes, um, Jake Fisher was. Uh, and I were sitting together at, at the Garden last night before I bailed out early, um, and he was noting the fact I had forgotten about this. When you have that um, that uh, optionality in the pick at the lottery, both teams have to be there, right? So, are we going to have like? And so he was like. All credited to to Jake for this. I hope I'm not spoiling this. It's just too great not to 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 mention it. Uh, I, I apologize in advance, Jake. But he brought up the point, like like if, if the Knicks were out, like like Jalen Brunson being the Knicks representative, the lottery, would be, the, the would be lottery, fantastic. the lottery is as much my Super Bowl as the NBA Finals. I love the lottery. You're, you're damn right. I'm going to be in Chicago next week. You're damn right. I'm going to be in the drawing room. Wait, and, and the Knicks have to be in there, right? Don't the Knicks and Mavericks both have to be there in case this happens? And on the dais? I hope I I I don't I hope so. I I just can't wait. I don't I'm not gonna be able to contain myself. I like you have to sit there. You've been there. You have to sit there silently. Listen, I, I can't yeah, I can't wait. Okay. I was um, I was in you I think you and I were both in the room the year that that uh, the the 
Pelicans got Zion right now. Alvin Gentry with his big fist pump and like a yeah or whatever it was. It's great like, times. Great I, whoever times. Whoever gets Wembenyama, I want to like somebody's going to be doing backflips. Like they need to they have need like to a have, camera. No, on. they need to have medical personnel there because people <laughs> might faint. I mean, seriously, imagine imagine if you're Portland and you've sort of like weaseled your way into the fifth spot and you have this whole Damian Lillard question hanging over your franchise and you win the Victor Wembanyama lottery. I might. I, what is your reaction? Like your your level of glee when Croatia beat Brazil in the World Cup and the last penalty hit the post, I fell on the floor. I, I literally fell on the floor of my house. My whole body just stopped functioning, and I fell on the floor. Like, wh- what if you got Wembenyama and you weren't like you, you should fall on the floor? I wonder what the full uh, uh, arsenal of supplies here should be. Like, there should be like medical personnel on hand. Uh, everybody should be fitted with adult diapers just in case they poop themselves in the moment. Uh, oxygen tanks. I don't know what else you might need here, but yes, um, I, I I will not be in Chicago. I will not be in the room. Um, I'm very curious to hear and and uh, hear the descriptions of. They might exactly kick me out. I honestly might be too excited. Are you going to be they, in the room? Yes, and I might okay. get there, and they might say. You're just behaving inappropriately. You have to leave. <laughs> and I would sedatives. That's the other thing they should hand out at the door to the room where you when you give up your cell phone and your electronics, they should hand you that some w- sedatives as in exchange. That would honestly be a great way to end my career is if I got filmed <laughs> being escorted, like dragged out by multiple security guards of the NBA drawing room and just don't screaming mess with NBA like security. screaming like the maps don't deserve for Banyama. <laughs> it's a travesty. NBA security, do not mess with NBA security. I can't wait. Uh, the lottery, it, it is the most irrational, awesome thing ever, and I love Portland it. Portland lost uh, on I can't purpose. Wait. I will be watching Portland it lost home. on purpose. They don't deserve Wembenyama. <laughs> Justice. Nobody deserves anything. I'm just kidding around. Like I don't have any. I don't care who gets Wembenyama. Yeah. Really, it's just, it's just, it's just. I say this every year. It's just so hilarious that all of these brilliant people who spend their entire lives charting things seven years ahead crafting franchise plans looking for the Caleb Martins on the minimums and the Dorian Finney-Smiths undrafted logging flight hours everywhere talking to all the college assistant coaches they know for every little tidbit on every little player just submit submit to the ping pong ball machine and if the power goes out and God willing this will happen one year if the power goes out the backup plan this is a real thing is a basketball with a hole cut in the top and you put all the ping pong balls in the basketball and a guy reaches in and takes them out. If, if I'm ever there and that happens, I honestly might cut the power. Anyway, when I, when I retire, when I retire, if the NBA wants to give me like a parting gift upon my retirement as an NBA beat writer, I want the ball with the hole in it. I'll make it like a candy dish or something. It'd be phenomenal. I still have, I'm going to bring it right now. Hold on. (laughs) Can't wait. Uh, folks who are listening at home, Zach has stepped away from the microphone and is now returning with. I still have. No one got this back from me. The pandemic lottery in Secaucus when there was nobody there, no team representatives at all. I was, I think, the only media person there. Nobody was there. I still have this. Oh, my from gosh. From the Anthony Edwards lottery. This came out of the envelope. I still have it. The envelope's back here. It just fell on the floor. And I just asked somebody in the NBA. I was like, hey, no one's here. Can I take this? And then I tried to bribe, fake bribe the Timberwolves. Be like, what do you want for it? 
What do you want for it? I'll give it to the Timberwolves. If you're listening and you want this, I have it. It <laughs> says Minnesota Timberwolves. I have it. And that's that's like the one that, that Mark Tatum pulls out of the envelope, right? Oh, Zach has a... Uh, Here's the envelope. There he is. Here's the yeah, envelope. the number one envelope. So Zach has the envelope with the big red number one and it has the Minnesota Timberwolves uh, logo in it, just much as you would see on TV. Do you know what I have? Do you know what my lottery mementos are, Zach? There was a year where it was at, um, I think it was at a Midtown Hotel. And so, you know, the, the, the NBA, they will feed you. They will have all the stuff there and everything. And in the lobby areas and the milling about areas where we would like chit chat with GMs and whoever, they had all of these um, just displays with ping pong balls with team logos on them. And I saw some people grabbing them because they just seemed like they were up for grabs. And so I just pocketed a bunch. My cats love chasing them. So I've got like a little ping pong ball with the Bulls logo. I've got one with, um, I like I, I, I try to remember like the Timberwolves, the Pelicans. But I've got, a, I just got a supply of these. If for no other reason than my cats love chasing ping pong balls. So I have ping pong balls from the lottery. Not the actual ones that go in the hopper, by the way, people. Those are uh, off limits uh, to everybody Those except for the- uh, Ernst & Young and a yes. locked briefcase that if you- like tried to hit it with a, a sledgehammer it wouldn't open also once again you would be getting dragged out of the room by nba security again okay nick's heat i just want to say a couple more things i think one of the underrated subplots of this playoffs for the knicks which may end tomorrow is rj barrett who i've always been bullish on listen to the ian begley put back before the playoffs has emerged as just a legit solid player. Mm -hmm. I think the debate is over. After the first two games against the Cavs where he was kind of invisible, since then he's averaging 22 points a game on 50% shooting, 38% on threes. And it's not just the numbers. It's the way... The thing with Barrett has always been on a Randall-centric team and now a Brunson-centric team. How is R.J. Barrett just an okay three-point shooter... So he can't be like that of effective of a spacer. How is he going to find his place with the Knicks? How is he going to sort of earn his keep with the Knicks? And he's just emerged as this gap filler connector. Like, oh, we're going to run a Brunson, RJ Barrett pick and roll. Yeah, that works. Like I can post a mismatch now and then I can hit an open three. I can, I can bully ball drive when the ball swings to me and I get a little momentum. I can just kind of bully my way in there. He's been really good in transition, even though finishing has been kind of not one of his strengths. He's been a good transition player. He's made enough open threes. He's been okay on defense. I think, honestly, if they lose this series, that's the thing the Knicks should feel best about is, okay, this guy fits. This guy can be part of whatever next iteration of our team is, unless we decide to go after a gigantic mega trade and some we have all our picks we've tried before. Maybe he has to go out, but I think they should feel great about the way RJ Barrett has played since the first two games of the playoffs. I agree. And, um, you know, let's remember, I don't try to remember the exact order of events last summer, but you know, as, as the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes slip away from them immediately, they're announcing the RJ Barrett extension, right? I'm remembering that correctly. It was with like pretty within, much within hours of each other. And it, and it felt like kind of a, oh, we need to like, you know, not spin, but just more like we need some good news out there. Um, and at the time, you know, there's a bunch of different elements to this, right? I feel like the league in general has been skeptical is too strong of a word, but not sold on R.J. Barrett. I feel like people around the league have been kind of like, yeah, you know, he's good. He's fine. He's OK. But for what you want out of the third overall pick, 
you know, like, is he going to be a perennial all-star? It, it, nobody seemed to, to believe that there was, I, I thought there was very little, uh, if, if there was, if there's a, if there was an RJ Barrett Island, there, there weren't that many people on it. Um, and it felt like the league was a little bit it, down on skeptical of not sold on whatever the f- right phrasing is. And then he gets the extension, which look, the, you can question, I, I don't know whether he was you know, you never know after the fact whether there's a guy truly in or out of these trade offers and everything else. I don't know that his value was really that high. Anybody who was looking at him a year ago as a key element in any blockbuster trade the Knicks might want to make for a Donovan Mitchell or, or whomever else, I think it was questionable whether he was really enough of an asset. I think to your point, and with that extension in hand, and 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 everything looks different a year later, and especially, you know, cap's going to go up, everything else, and his value has gone up. He comes out of this series with a different kind of sheen now. And so whether that means you now are that much more confident in part of your core going forward and having him be not just a productive player, but hey, maybe he is going to make some all-star teams. Or if it just simply changes perceptions around the league and you still have extra picks and you still like, listen, let's 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 be honest, wherever this ends for the Knicks, I don't think you, this is not a team you just look at and say with internal growth, they'll eventually be a finals team. No, like they're still a move or two away. They have to find their way to, you know, a superstar at some point that like that it's, it's, it's as simplistic as that. That's the NBA. Julius Randle just made another all NBA team. Great. Um, Jalen Brunson could had a case for one and, and probably will make some, but do they actually have the, the, the basis for a championship team? Like I, I would say no. And I don't think that's controversial and you, you have to find your way there eventually and, and finding your way there. It's not, it doesn't look like it's going to be the cap room route. It's definitely not, not going to be the draft route. Because they're they're now too good to to get that difference maker. So at some point you have to find your way. And and I'm not suggesting necessarily that that means Barrett is is, is on his way out somewhere. But it's given you another piece that maybe you didn't have um, a year ago, just based on his increased value now. And I, he's been and he's been very good. And and like just just even in the course of that that first round series, you just saw it. And you and the the, the garden the garden wants him to succeed so badly. Um, and the RJ Barrett chants have been amazing. Um, it's it's been it's been a revelation. Um, he just has to sustain it. A couple more quick things on this series. I loved how fast the Knicks played last night. Because um, when you play fast, you get the defense backpedaling. Even if they're set, they're on their heels, and that allowed Brunson to get some ISOs where the Heat just couldn't load up. The way they're loading up is. You know, he takes one dribble forward and all of a sudden there's a swipe from this guy and a swipe from that guy. And he just can't get any rhythm and space or or it's harder for him. And it's it was easier when they just weren't ready to load up. Same thing with like when they attacked Kevin Love in a pick and roll. He can't load up to hedge out on Jalen Brunson if he's backpedaling. He's got to drop back. And if he drops back, he's toast. Heat zone, which almost won them or helped them win game two. The Knicks have now scored 1.46 points per possession against the Miami zone in this series, according to Second Spectrum. That's very, very good. And it doesn't look great. They don't have a really stylish zone offense. They're not a big playmaking team. But the way they've attacked it with physicality and mismatch hunting has has really worked for them. And I just I don't want to see any more minutes where Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are on the bench together. It's been a thing that I've just not liked for two or three years now. In the regular season, fine, I get it. In the playoffs, yes, Jimmy's dealing with an ankle thing. I just the Knicks got back in the game in those minutes in the second quarter um, last night, and I, and I, I just I would prefer that he just not do that. Oh, and I forgot this one thing. We're going back to Lakers for a second to talk about LeBron 
and the the aggression. Just as an example, game four, 13 pick and rolls where LeBron was the ball handler and Steph's guy was the screener. Game five, three. And when I say that I think I'm going to see more of that, more of the aggressive LeBron in game six, that's what I'm talking about. Do you have any parting Knicks heat thoughts before we go? Um, Off the top of my head, no. And nothing in my notes. Okay. Well, we get two game sixes tonight. Woo! Philly, Boston, Denver, Phoenix. Will anybody shove anybody at any point tonight? Snooping in the opponent's huddle. Just one of the all-time irritant. <laughs> you honestly... Just like so, I have one of my rules is if you make a three, and someone on the opposing bench has has been screaming at you during the shot, trying to distract you, like you know, hell no, whatever they say on the yeah. bench, you get to taunt, you get to turn around, and without as long as it's not obscene, like yeah. gesture, an obscene gesture, you get to taunt those guys, and you don't get teed up, particularly yeah. if it's an opposing coach. If it's an opposing, if it's if it's a coach, you should be able to step on their foot or something and that's okay um where was i going with this <laughs> shoving snooping oh on, if you uh, snoop huddles. if you snoop on a huddle yeah. the other player can shove you just in the shoulder like durant did. yeah i don't want text in you situations. don't get a technical for no. that get yeah, out of the huddle yeah. and i don't care like well they're technically they're on the court so he's allowed to be yeah. like, we, like we all Come know on. what's going on you get shoved flop or not, and everyone's flopping. Jokic is flopping. Ishbia is flopping. Everybody's flopping. No technical for Kevin Durant. Okay, Howard Beck, read him at GQ. He's on all the Locked On pods right now. Locked On everywhere. He's locked in and locked on. Uh, Big next few days in the NBA, my friend. Enjoy it. Thank you for your time. You too. Have a great train ride. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee. Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. All-in prices show you the total up front so you know you're getting a great deal before you check out. Buy in seconds with two taps. They're obsessed, Game Time is, with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball. We like basketball here. Baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOW, my last name, the name of this podcast, for $20 off your first purchase. That's a nice chunk of change. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code L-O-W-E for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets. Lowest price. Guaranteed.